The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper, Paragraph 2. In this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sins of the quick or dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself, by himself, upon the cross, once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same, so that the Popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 85 of This We Confess, Today we continue our journey through chapter 29 of the Confession, which deals with the Lord's Supper. Last time out we considered who it was that instituted the Lord's Supper and what the Supper was actually for. And so as we continue on from that, paragraph 2 gives us a clear picture of what we are not doing when we come to the Lord's Table. The paragraph begins by stating, In this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sins of the quick or dead. So let's unpack that. Firstly, in the supper, we are not offering Christ up to the Father. If we have believed that we are doing God some sort of favour in the Lord's Supper, then we are incorrect. If we have believed that in the Lord's Supper we are bringing God an offering of Christ in similar fashion to the Old Testament temporary sacrificial system, then we are incorrect. In the Supper, we are not offering Christ up to the Father. Secondly, in the Supper there is no sacrifice being made for the remission of sins. If you believe that your sins will be forgiven because you have come to the table, then once more, You are incorrect. To believe that the Lord's Supper is an offering up of Christ or that it in some way removes our sins from us is to dilute the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. The Westminster Divines point us to Hebrews chapter 9, which when understood correctly, makes it clear that the Supper cannot be an offering or a means of sins forgiven. Hebrews 9 22 to 28. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not in the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So in Hebrews 9 we are told various things. Firstly, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. As Christians we look to the shedding of Christ's blood as the place where our sins were paid for. No blood is shed at the Lord's table, and so the supper can in no way be seen as an offering or sacrifice that actually pays for sin. Secondly, Christ is now in the heavenly place and is in the presence of God on our behalf. How then can we offer him up to the Father when he is already there making intercession for us? Thirdly, Jesus isn't in the presence of the Father offering continual sacrifice. Calvary was once and for all. It was enough. It was sufficient. And verse 28 here is clear that Jesus was offered just once to bear our sins. When he returns, it isn't to pay for sin, but to save those who are waiting for him. Therefore, the supper is not and cannot be seen as an offering up of Christ or a sacrificial meal that pays for sin. And to believe either is to misunderstand what Christ has accomplished, and it robs the Lord of the glory that is due to him as the one and only propitiation, that is, the one and only sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. So the supper isn't an offering, and nor does it pay for sin. So what is it? The divines answer by stating that the supper is but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself, by himself, upon the cross, once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. So the supper is not an offering, but it is a commemoration of Christ's offering up of himself. And that is an important distinction. We're not adding to Christ's sacrifice, but instead we commemorate it, we remember it, and we do so because Jesus himself calls us to remember. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 onwards, here is what we read about the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we come to the table, we engage our minds and we consider the sacrifice of Christ. We have no film of it. We have no photographs. We were not there. But still we rejoice in the testimony of scripture, which paints a vivid picture of the Lord's death. We call to mind what the Lord tells us in his word, and we remember Christ's sacrifice until the day that our faith becomes sight. The supper isn't just a reminder, however. Paragraph 1 states that the supper is for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death, and also for the sealing all benefits thereof on the true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. So the supper isn't just a reminder, but it is still a reminder. It is a commemoration. It is a visible sermon and a meal which brings us to a solemn place of worship and adoration of Christ our King and only sacrifice for the people of God. Additionally, the Westminster Divines tell us that the supper is a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. Now, we don't use the word oblation much anymore, but it means something that is offered. And so in the Lord's Supper, rightly used, we offer to the Lord all possible praise. The Supper is not an act that saves us, but instead it is an act of worship. We praise the Lord as we eat and drink, for he has called us to the meal. He has set the table. He has provided the sacrifice, and he is the one who strengthens and assures us of our salvation. At the table... We thankfully receive the meal with hearts overflowing with praise for our God. Paragraph 2, however, ends on a sombre note, with the Westminster Divine stating that the Popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. This language seems quite harsh to modern ears, and yet it is entirely appropriate. The Roman Catholic Mass is indeed offensive and insulting to Christ's one and only sacrifice. And here is what paragraph 1367 of the Roman Catholic Catechism teaches about the Mass. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests, who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And since in this divine sacrifice which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. This sacrifice is truly propitiatory. Let's break that down. Firstly, Catholicism teaches that the supper, called here in this paragraph, the Eucharist, are one single sacrifice. 
And so Reformed belief that the Lord's Supper is neither an offering or a sacrifice for remission of sins is rejected by Rome. Christ's sacrifice at Calvary is apparently joined today and repeated at every Mass across the world. Jesus is called the victim, and today the priests of the Roman Catholic Church are involved in offering up Jesus at every Mass. At Calvary, Christ's sacrifice was bloody, but at the Mass, the sacrifice is unbloody. The Mass sacrifice is truly propitiatory. In other words, the Mass truly turns away the wrath of God. The Reformed believer cannot accept the Mass as anything other than a grave injury to Christ's one and only propitiation, his one and only wonderful sacrifice at Calvary. Indeed, Roman Catholic teaching on the Mass flies in the face of Scripture's own testimony. In Hebrews 7 and verse 23 and 24, we read this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Christ is the permanent priest who is alive and will never die again. And the Old Testament priesthood has gone because Christ is the true prophet, priest and king. And yet Rome has reintroduced the priesthood which offers Christ in the Mass as a propitiatory sacrifice. And yet, once more, Hebrews 7 shows us that there is no need for further sacrifice. Verse 27 says this, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Christ doesn't offer sacrifices daily for his own sin and for the sin of the people. He has no need. He was the sinless priest who offered himself once and for all. And yet Rome believes that an army of sinful, imperfect priests somehow take part at each Mass in an unbloody sacrifice of Christ. Such belief is injurious to the once and for all sacrifice at Calvary. The Lord Jesus requires no further sacrifice, for it is as Hebrews 10 and verse 12 states, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then in verse 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And once more in verse 18 of Hebrews 10, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. To turn the Lord's Supper into an offering or a sacrifice doesn't honour Jesus, but instead it robs him. Indeed, it mixes the sacrifice of Christ with our own works. But today, this we confess. In the Supper, we remember our Lord and offer our praise. In the Supper, His was the sacrifice. He is the great High Priest of God's people. And his sacrifice was enough. Christ alone is the propitiation for our sins. His sacrifice was once and never to be repeated. Christ has sat down. The curtain has been torn in two. And it is Christ himself who invites us to come and to eat. We contend today for the faith once delivered to the saints 
and reject anything that is injurious to the cause of Christ. And so therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. According to the Westminster Divines, what two things are not happening at the Lord's Supper? Question 2. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration of Christ's sacrifice. But recalling paragraph 1, what else is the Supper for? Question 3. What do we mean when we say that the Lord's Supper is a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same? And question four, give some reasons why the Reformed Christian cannot see the Roman Catholic Mass as anything other than injurious to the cause of Christ. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. (laughs) 